Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 639 with Susan Robertson. Susan is sharing how to get more breakthrough ideas and why that matters no matter what your role. So you'll learn one, why every professional benefits from more creativity. Two, why you should start with your craziest ideas. And three, what to do when other folks shut down your ideas. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to apps that we've referenced, drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash F639. And while you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, check out the Gold Nuggets summaries. These provide a short write-up of the wisdom that Susan is sharing and a convenient email to your inbox each day the guest goes live, as well as access to the whole vaults of the 639 of these such summaries. That's the gold nuggets at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's Susan's story. Susan Robertson empowers individuals, teams, and organizations to more nimbly adapt to change by transforming thinking from why can't we to how might we. She's a creative thinking expert with over 20 years of experience coaching Fortune 500 companies. As instructor on applied creativity at Harvard, Susan brings a scientific foundation to enhancing human creativity. She combines the neuroscience of creative thinking with a big dose of fun to make the learning and behavior change really stick. Big thanks to Susan for sharing her wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Susan. Susan, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Looking forward to our conversation. Oh, me too. Well, I'd love to get started by hearing, I understand you love salsa dancing. (laughs) Can you draw the connection? Has dancing helped you be more creative and how? I think in many ways, yes, because I'm a social dancer, not a competitive dancer. So competitive dancers learn and practice a routine. But social dancers, you are improving in every moment. So a leader is leading and a follower is following, and together you are creating the dance as you go. So it's it's a completely creative act in every dance. So I do think that's helped me be creative and allowed me to be more spontaneous and and sort of let things flow. All right. Well, so let's talk about being spontaneous and creative and letting things flow. Can you, first of all, maybe make the case for why the typical professional should care about creativity or being creative in terms of like the tangible benefits? I think some folks might say, oh, well, you know what? I'm not a designer or or a musician. I, you kind of have to follow these processes that are quite spelled out at work. So can you lay it on us for, for why creativity is useful for everyone to have more of? 
Yes, because when you're a more creative thinker, you can more effectively solve whatever challenges appear in your life, and you can more effectively seize what opportunities appear in your life. When you're not a creative thinker, your thinking is limited in many ways that you are not aware of. There are a lot of neuroscience-based reasons behind that, but the bottom line is your thinking is limited. So when challenges or opportunities arise... If you're not familiar with some creative thinking tools, your tendency is going to be to have a fairly limited set of ideas or reactions in response to those challenges or opportunities. And if you have some creative tools at your disposal, you'll have a broader range of possible ideas, actions, possibilities, outcomes. All right. Well, well, could you could you make that all the more real for us by maybe sharing an inspiring story of someone who upgraded their creativity and saw really cool benefits as a result? I will, actually. This was someone who happened to take a workshop of mine. It was a multiple day workshop. And she at the time was working in a huge corporation and she was working in a job that she was technically trained for. That's what her degree was in. But she was bored. She'd been there for 15 years and she was just tired of it. And she was seriously thinking about having to leave her company because she didn't think there were any other options within her company for her. So she happened to take this workshop of mine on creative thinking. And about three months later, she called me and she said, as a result of the creative thinking tools that I learned in your workshop, I went back to my office. I explored what it was I really wanted to do And I looked around at what the company actually really needed, and I made a match between what I wanted to do and what the company needed. I created a new job title and a new job description, and I sold it in to management, and I now have that job. Oh, there you go. Very cool. All right. Created the job, and (laughs) now you're enjoying the job. Yeah. I love it. Well, so so you've got a big toolkit when it comes to to boosting creativity. You said uh, that particular person, you know, used some of the tools. Yep. Could you maybe give us some of the greatest hits right away? What would you say are maybe one of the top one, two, three tools from that toolkit for boosting creativity? So I'll give you a couple, one that's sort of easy and quick to describe and a couple others that maybe might take a little bit longer to describe. So the first one that's easy and quick to describe is... One of the best ways we know to increase your creative thinking is to make a conscious separation between what's called divergent thinking and convergent thinking. So divergent thinking is when we are looking for new ideas, exploring the blue sky, reaching, stretching, seeking newness. Convergent thinking is when we are evaluating ideas, deciding which ones are the best or have the most promise, and then optimizing those ideas and then choosing from amongst them. So we do divergent and convergent thinking every day. All of us do both of them, but we don't very effectively separate them in our everyday life. What we tend to do is mix them. We're not aware that that's what's happening, but that's what's happening. And if you're in a meeting, for example, here's what it often looks like. Somebody says an idea and someone else says, we don't have time for that one. And then somebody else says an idea and somebody says that one will cost too much. So there's an attempt at divergent thinking because there's one idea and there's an immediate convergent thinking, an evaluation or a judgment. And quite typically, it's a negative judgment. And if people are willing to continue to throw out ideas like, okay, here's another idea. Somebody will say, well, that's our IT won't, that won't work with IT. So we mix these 
convergent and divergent thinking all the time. And it's a bit like driving a car and having your foot on the gas, the brake, the gas, the brake, the gas, the brake. You don't really go anywhere very efficiently. It's all kind of stutter stop. And if what we can do instead is diverge for a while, meaning come up with many ideas with no judgment, neither negative nor positive, and then when we have a lot of ideas, then we start a convergent thinking phase, which is evaluating which ones seem to have the most promise, optimizing those, and then deciding amongst them. So again, that's making a conscious separation between divergent thinking, generating ideas, and convergent thinking, evaluating, optimizing, and choosing from ideas. Oh, okay. That's a foundational principle in creative thinking. So it's a foundational principle. And so we've got an analogy there in terms of with the car, you've got your feet on the gas and the brake at the same time. In terms of of how that plays out, let's say we've got a meeting. So what would be the expected impact of, if we, let's just say we have a 30-minute meeting. Mm-hmm. If we had uh, 30 minutes that went divergent, convergent, divergent, convergent, divergent, convergent, you know, like the shift off that's that happens a lot mm-hmm. versus 15 minutes divergent, 15 minutes convergent. I mean, in a way, you might say, hey, we're spending the same amount of time on each mental function. Why does it yes. matter if we are, have it together versus separated? Because you will actually get many, many more ideas. If you do a conscious divergent phase, you will get more ideas. That's been proven through research, and there are many reasons for it. But one of the reasons is because you're go, 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 and you don't have to stop and evaluate. Mm -hmm. If you have an idea, then you evaluate. You have an idea, you evaluate. It's a slower process. A second reason why you're going to have more ideas is because we know again, from both research and experience, that there's something in creative thinking that's called the rule of three. And what it really means is you have to sort of attack something three times before you get to the really good stuff. The best ideas come out later in a divergent thinking process. The most blue sky ideas come out later. What tends to happen early is the easy, thought of before, tried it before, sort of tweak on what happens now, ideas come first. And Mm -hmm. if those are constantly getting yes-butted, yes, but we don't have time, yes, but that's not what IT wants, the group will simply shut down. They'll just stop generating ideas because no one has the wherewithal to just keep going at it when everything gets shut down. So you won't get as many ideas and you won't get to the good ideas because you don't get as many ideas. So when you make a conscious separation between divergent and convergent thinking, you're going to get one, more ideas. And as a result of more ideas, you're going to get two better quality ideas because it takes a while for the top of mind ideas to get spit out and people have to dive deeper, think harder to get to the newer and better ideas. Yeah, that's interesting in terms of the dive deeper, think harder. If you've established for 15 minutes, we're generating ideas, and then, I don't know, four minutes in, you know, you've got a few ideas, and then there's just a silence. That's just kind of uncomfortable for people. Yes, it is. So they're going to think of something else, if nothing else, but to escape this discomfort, the remainder of the 11 minutes. Right. And can I explain to you kind of the neuroscience of what's going on when that silence happens? Oh, let's do it. Because there is a reason for it. So 
in our brain, we have two systems of thinking called system one and system two, sometimes known as fast thinking and slow thinking. And system one thinking is the sort of quick, everyday, intuitive thinking that most of us do most of the time. System two thinking is deeper thinking. It's harder work. It literally takes more calories for our brain to do system two thinking. So as a result, our body tries to stay in system one thinking as much as it can because that's an energy conservation principle. So we avoid going into system two thinking. So what you just described happens all the time. People throw out a few ideas and then they think I'm done, I don't have any more and the silence happens. That's because all the system one ideas got exhausted. And those were the ones that I said, they're the easy to think of, tried it before, just a slight tweak on what exists today. Those are the ideas that come from system one thinking. And you have to spend enough time and work hard enough to get your brain into system two thinking for the better ideas to come. So when that awkward silence happens and people say, I don't have any more ideas, whoever's facilitating the meeting needs to, at that point, do something to help people stimulate more ideas that sort of forces them into system two thinking. Because if you just say, okay, people said they're out of ideas, so I guess they are, they're not out of ideas. They're only out of system one easy ideas. And you have to go longer, work harder to get to system two ideas. Okay. Well, well, that's a nice explanation. And, and it, it rings true. That's just not what happens very often unless you're really aware of it and, and conscientiously right. thoughtful about doing it. Right. And, and so then, well, let's, let's hear that. You mentioned there's a silence and then something needs to be done to get them fired up again. Yes. What is that something? Well, some sort of stimulus activity that prompts people's brains to sort of turn back on and they can be easy or complicated, but an easy one would be, okay, how would a submarine captain solve this problem or what ideas would they have or what ideas would Oprah Winfrey have or how would a kindergartner solve this problem? And any of those kinds of prompts will help people start to come up with new ideas. <laughs> you know, I, it's so funny. I, I'm on a board and, and we frequently reference another nonprofit. And it's like, so, so what's Focus doing here? <laughs> and and like, it has served us well again and again. Yes. yes. But it need not be sort of a direct corollary analog. It can be kind of wacky, like like Oprah or a submarine. Right. And then actually, it's, it probably sparks more creative ideas if it's not sort of a direct competitor or, or an industry, a similar industry. If it's something actually radically different, will spark more creative thinking. Well, so let's have some fun and, and play that out in practice. So let's say we're trying to figure out how to reduce costs, just make it real broad. And we've, we've had a couple ideas like, oh, we can print double-sided on, on the printer and right. we can switch to a cheaper caterer for the, the team lunch, whatever. Okay, so we yep. have some lame ideas. Yep. <laughs> no offense if you just propose that idea to anybody. And so then we're kind of stuck. So, right. so you might throw out a stimulus and, and can you play it a demo. How, how would that unfold then? Okay. So will you play along with me? Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. So here's, this is one of my favorite types of stimulus, and this is called a get fired idea. All right. All right. So I want you to think of an idea that would solve the problem. In other words, it would dramatically reduce cost. But if you actually did it, you would get fired. 
So again, I'm going to repeat the instruction. It would solve the problem. But if you actually did it, you would get fired because it's so ridiculous in some way. It's either illegal, it's dangerous, it's immoral, or it would cost us a million dollars before we got to the cost savings. So it would solve the problem, but it's completely ridiculous. So can you think of an idea like that to save cost? Oh, sure thing. We, we cancel the lease on the building and say, you know what? No, thanks. <laughs> okay, excellent. That's perfect. Cancel the lease on the building. All right. So now what you need to do is you need to go through a process, which I'm going to describe, that helps you extract something interesting from that idea and so that you can take the interesting piece and lose the problematic piece. All right. Mm-hmm. So now this process I call GPS thinking. And GPS stands for great problem solving. And it's a three-step process. All right. G, great. You have to first list everything about that idea that is potentially great. What's potentially great about that idea? You make a long list. All right. Step two, you articulate the problems in that idea, but with one critical difference. And that critical difference is you need to articulate the problem in the form of a how-to question. And then step three is you solve for those problems by modifying the idea, but keeping something you thought was great. All right. So we're going to play that out on your idea. All right. So the idea is cancel the lease. All Mm -hmm. right. So G, great. What's potentially good about that idea of canceling the lease? Well, the the rent on the office building we inhabit is a pretty significant recurring expenditure. Yep. So we're striking at, it's a big pie, you know, that right. we, okay. we could go after. That's something yep. good about it. What else? What else is, might be good about it? Well, right now in COVID, landlords have less uh, bargaining power, negotiating power in a corporate lease office yes. space. I don't know how it works, but yes. like, you know, yes. there's eviction clauses that say you just can't kick people out for not paying. There's more interest in people working from home. So they, uh, there's probably less overall, there may be, uh, to be determined, less interest in office space to be leased. Yep. So you, yep. could, you might have a strong negotiating position to, to work from. Yep, yep. And let's broaden it out even besides things that might not be solely cost-related. Like if we let people work from home, they might have a better quality of life. Okay. They might be able to spend that one hour that they typically commute doing a little extra work. We might be able to find better employees that are in a remote city that we otherwise wouldn't have been able to hire. So you want to come up with a a divergent list of lots of things that are potentially interesting about that idea, not just the one sole thing, Mm -hmm. okay? All right, so now we've got a list of potentially good things. Yeah. All right, so now let's go to the the P problem, that's step two. But again, we're going to articulate that problem in the form of a how-to question. So instead of saying, we can no longer work effectively. (laughs) Instead, you would say something like, how do we continue to work effectively without our offices? All right. Okay. Are there other problems in that idea that you see? Sure. How do we escape a lease that is legally binding? Yes. What other potential problems might you see in that idea? How do we continue looking legit <laughs> to, ah. to clients and customers uh-huh. without a proper office. Uh-huh. Okay. And do you see what I'm doing? I'm pushing you to continue to diverge, yeah. right? Because in divergent thinking, you want to make a long list of ideas or in this case of questions. So 
in the interest of time, I'm not going to keep pushing you. But if you were doing this in reality, you actually would. I would have pushed you harder on what else is great about it. Mm-hmm. And I would have pushed you harder on more questions. But in the interest of time, let's move on. All right. So let's move to step three, solving. So which of those problems do you think is the, the most urgent or the biggest one that we would have to solve for first before we would ever kind of begin to move forward on a, on a modified version of this idea? Oh, how can we escape at least that we're legally bound to? How can we escape? All right. So let's now start solving for that idea by changing the original idea, but keeping something about it you thought was great. So for example, instead of simply abandoning the lease, we could renegotiate with the landlord for, we would sign on for more years at a lower rate. Mm -hmm. Might be one potential idea, right? What other potential ideas might you see? Sure thing. We take an underutilized wing of our floor and convert that into a hip co-working space that we rent out earning revenue to offset some uh, of our lease bill each month. Excellent. And that makes me think of another idea, which is we renegotiate with the landlord for a smaller space and we desk rotate. So today I work in the office and you work at home and tomorrow you work in my office and I work at home. Mm -hmm, Certainly. So this process of taking a crazy idea and then working it to extract the interesting parts and to let the bad parts fall away is exactly what you want to have happen in creative thinking. And when I said earlier that you want to do divergent thinking first and then convergent thinking, part of convergent thinking is improving and optimizing ideas. So mm-hmm. we, we were doing some divergent thinking in what's good about it. We did some divergent thinking on what are the questions or problems we'd have to solve in it. And we're doing now a little bit of both divergent and convergent thinking in optimizing, right? So we're optimizing that original idea. And if we were to continue to do this, we would probably come out with several potential ideas that we thought were viable. Now, not that that's the end. Obviously, we'd have to go explore whether they really are viable or not. And that fact-finding piece that sort of developed the idea is another part of the creative problem-solving process. But to stimulate ideas, that get-fired idea, which is where we started, is one of my favorites. And Mm -hmm. then you have to go through a conscious process to extract the interesting parts and solve for the parts that are not working. Certainly. And before we go into that GPS process, we're going to get lots of ideas before we even start on one of them. Exactly. We're going to get lots Mm -hmm. of ideas. We're going to diverge on lots of ideas. Then we're going to converge on a few. Mm -hmm. Which ones we think hold the most promise are going to make the biggest dent. And as you said early on, rent is going to make a huge dent because it's one of our biggest costs. So that would probably be one that would stay on the list when we converged. And then we'd go through that GPS process on the short list on each of them individually. Mm -hmm. Okay, lovely. Well, so it seems like we've kind of gotten into it, but uh, you've got uh, 10 rules for brainstorming success. I have a feeling we've we've hit a couple (laughs) of them already. Can you lay it out quick time, one to 10? So the first rule is free them from the fear. And that is the fear of saying a crazy idea. Because in a group, people are very afraid of saying a crazy idea. So you have to make it okay to do that. And the easiest way to make it okay to do that is to pull aside 
in advance the most senior person who's going to be in the room and tell them, your job is to throw out the craziest idea you can possibly think of early on so that people know they have permission to do that. So that's the easiest way to free them from the fear. Okay. The second thing, use the power of the group. And when I say use the power of the group, that means you want to build and combine ideas. Don't just have a bunch of people. They're all doing something individually. You want to have them working together, working in pairs and saying, oh, that idea made me think of this. Or what did you think of when you heard his idea about the the cookie? That's number two, use the power of the group. Number three, get some outside stimulus. And that's like I talked about, you know, what would Oprah do or what would a submarine captain do? That, that's outside stimulus. But outside stimulus can also be literally leave your office, go somewhere mm-hmm. else, go to an art museum. Those kinds of things also make a big difference. Talk to your customers. That's also outside stimulus. You have to let some crazy in the room. So... I often hear people say at the beginning of an idea session or a brainstorming session, we don't need a lot of ideas. We just need a few good ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we know. (laughs) But the research shows us that in order to get to a few good ones, you have to have one, a lot of ideas, and you have to have two, some completely ridiculous ideas like that get fired idea we just talked about, like getting out of the lease on the building. Because if you don't have some crazy ideas, you're never actually going to have newness. You're only going to have tweaks on what you do today or what you know today. So encourage the crazy. That's number four. Number five, it's a numbers game. So it is about quantity. Quantity will lead to quality. And that's, again, because we know we have to get past those system one ideas to get into system two. That's where the better ideas come. So you need lots of them. Number six, laugh a lot. Because humor always helps and stimulates creative thinking. Number seven, homework is required. There's a lot of research that proves that if people are warned in advance what the topic of the meeting is and they have some time to incubate it in advance, they will come to the meeting prepared and better ideas will come. So do tell people the objective of the meeting, ask them to start thinking of it in advance and it will happen. Number eight, it's not for amateurs. I am giving you tips to do this on your own, but actually, if you're going to do it on something truly significant, it's better to hire a facilitator. And even if that means pulling in someone who's not working on the project, what I really mean is the owner of the project, the one who's ultimately responsible for the result, should not be running the meeting because it divides their attention too much. They're having to pay attention to the content or the ideas, but they're also having to pay attention to the time and is lunch coming and who's late and do we need a bathroom break? And if you have, if you can separate the content and the process, you'll have a much better result. So when I say it's not for amateurs, hire a facilitator. It does mean hire a professional facilitator if you can. But if you mm-hmm. can't, you need to get someone in to run the meeting who has nothing to do with the content. They're going to manage the process. Number nine, if it looks like a duck but doesn't act like a duck, it's not a duck. Meaning, if you're not going to follow the rules for good creative thinking or good brainstorming, don't bother because it's not going to be effective and people are going to realize in the moment that it's not effective. And if you want to invite them back another time to do it again on another topic, they're not going to come if they know it wasn't effective. So you need to follow the rules for good brainstorming. 
And number 10, you're not done until you decide, meaning you have to have the convergent thinking. And I recommend that you have it in the same session, that you don't postpone it for later. So that's why I said the rule is 50% diverge, 50% converge. Don't postpone the convergent thinking for multiple reasons, because often it just gets postponed indefinitely, but also because people feel no sense of closure around it. If you leave with a hundred ideas and no closure, people again feel like it wasn't effective. And it then becomes much harder for someone to make a decision on which ideas are best. And also the people who participated in the brainstorming should also participate in the converging so that they have some say in which ideas go forward so that they can tell why they think this idea is a good one or not, as opposed to some individual person reviewing all the other ideas later and making a decision. So those were the 10 rules. That was really fast. Oh, no, thank you. Well, I like it. I like it fast. <laughs> well, yeah, I think one of my favorite is right toward the beginning in terms of eliminate the fear of by having this a senior person told quietly in advance to say an outrageous idea. And I think that's probably just a lot of fun for everybody. Like, especially if that's someone, yeah. someone is pretty reserved and they don't do that. They're like, well, we could hire a bunch of convicts from the prison to, to do this at a great price. <laughs> yeah. It's like, whoa, yeah, it seems like that could just instantly say, okay, this is what we're doing right now. (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes if that senior person is a little bit more hesitant or a little bit more introverted, you might have to seed the idea. Like you tell them an idea and just say, just say Mm -hmm. this idea. (laughs) That Mm -hmm. will help them make it easier for them too. So what you're trying to do here is make it as easy as possible for everyone, including that person. That's great. That's great. Well, so we've got oh, so much to hear. Let's talk about the curse of knowledge. What is it and how does that make things tricky for us? The curse of knowledge is the phenomenon that any topic that you have some experience or some expertise in, you actually have a curse of knowledge, meaning your thinking around it is limited in ways you don't realize. So again, I'm going to play a game. Will you play along with me? Oh, sure. Okay. All right. So give me some new ideas for salad dressing as quick as you can, whatever comes to mind. They have to be new, huh? Yeah. I'm I'm just thinking of old ones. Ranch, Caesar, Italian. Okay. I could use A1 as a salad dressing. Okay. uh, But that's pre-existing. I could use fish oil and pepper. Zesty. Okay. Uh, <laughs> All right. That, that's good. That's enough. Okay. All right. So you actually went a little more divergent than many people often do. So I'll tell you what typically happens when I have people do that exercise. Typically, what people do is name flavors. And you sort of did that. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you named unusual flavors. I'll give you that. But you basically combine some flavors in a liquid which is what Mm -hmm. salad dressing is. (laughs) And here's the reason why our thinking is limited, and it is the curse of knowledge. So what happened in your brain when you heard me say salad dressing is you made a bunch of subconscious assumptions about salad dressing and also about salad. And they were things like, well, salad dressing is liquid. It comes in a bottle. I put it on lettuce. I probably store it in the refrigerator and I probably eat the resulting salad from a bowl or a plate with a fork, right? You probably made some or maybe all of those assumptions about salad and salad dressing. Mm -hmm. And that is the curse of knowledge because that is your experience with current salads and salad dressing. But if you could say, all right, let's take one of those assumptions and say, how can we make that not have to be true? So let's take you don't 
eat salad with a fork. How can we take the idea of salad dressing and make it so you don't eat salad with a fork? Now give me an idea for a new salad dressing. Oh, you know, it's funny where I thought you were going with that is the easiest one to, to take away would be lettuce. I was like, oh, it could be a fruit salad. It could be a taco salad. And then that, that changes everything in terms of what you think you want to stick on it. Right. But if I don't eat it with a fork, I guess if I eat it with a spoon, well, now I'm thinking about like those quinoa bowls. You know, it's not a salad per se, but it's salad-esque. You know, there's some veggies right. mixed in with quinoa right. or beans and with a spoon. But can you think of something to make salad dressing enable that? Uh, the salad dressing enables it. Yeah. For example, salad dressing is no longer liquid. It now comes in a skewer and you skewer the vegetables onto this edible stick, which is the dressing. Well, that's that's definitely innovative. <laughs> right. And that's the point, right? That's the point. I said, I want new ideas for salad dressing. New, mm -hmm. really new, truly new. So when you're looking for truly disruptive ideas, like radically new ideas, you have to get out of your curse of knowledge. And we all have curse of knowledge around anything we have experience in, but we have even more curse of knowledge around something that we're very expert in. Because when we're very expert, we have many, many, many of those subconscious assumptions that we're not aware that limit our thinking. And you have to break out of those to get to truly disruptive ideas. I'm going to tell you a story about curse of knowledge, actually, about my grandmother. Okay. So my grandmother was an excellent bridge player, the card game bridge. I don't think anybody plays anymore, but my, my grandmother Warren was really- Warren Buffett and Bill Gates, they yeah. play bridge. My grandmother was really good. I mean, to the point that other people would ask her advice and they would say, I had this hand the other day and it was like this, what should I have done? And she would give them advice. Anyway, one year at Christmas, my brother, my sister-in-law and I decided to ask our grandmother to teach us how to play bridge because- that seemed like a good idea. And she attempted it and it turned out to be a disaster. She was a terrible bridge teacher. And in hindsight, I now know the reason why was because she had this curse of knowledge. And the exchange I remember, remember the most vividly was she was trying to explain to us the concept of a singleton, which is a single card in a suit, like you only have mm -hmm. one diamond in your hand. And we said, why is that good? Why is a singleton good? And she said, because it's a single card in one suit. And we said, okay, but why is that good? And she said, because it's a singleton. Mm -hmm. And we said, but why is that good? And she repeated, because it's a single card in one suit. And we, like, obviously she wasn't explaining it because she didn't understand what we didn't understand because mm -hmm. her knowledge was so high, she didn't even understand what we didn't understand. And my aunt was sitting off to the side laughing as she's listening to all this. And she finally said, it's good because you can play it early. And once it's gone out of your hand, you're now allowed to play a trump card when you no longer have any more of that suit. Yeah. And my grandmother actually said, well, everybody knows that. <laughs> Well, everybody knows that. No, you know that because you're an expert. And do you see how it truly limited her thinking? Like she couldn't even understand what we didn't understand. So the more expert you are, the more curse of knowledge you have around your own topic. So one of the things you can do in a creative session to get around the curse of knowledge is bring in people into the session who are not experts, which is counterintuitive. Most people think that when you have a brainstorming session, what you need to do is gather a bunch of experts 
and have a brainstorming session. And that's not exactly true. You do need some expertise. Yes, absolutely you do. But you also need some people who aren't expert because they don't have the same curse of knowledge. And the other thing you can do is very specific tools like the one I just showed you that help break our curse of knowledge. And the one I just showed you, I call assumption busting. So in our salad dressing example, I said, okay, here are the assumptions you were making, right? Mm-hmm. You have to surface those assumptions and then consciously break them to get to the breakthrough ideas. And there's a way to help people surface their assumptions because they're not conscious of them at the beginning. And the way to help people surface their assumptions is to give them some sentence starters like, well, in our industry, we always fill in the blank mm-hmm. or, well, of course we can't fill in the blank or our customers would never fill in the blank or We can't fill in the blank. And when they fill in the blank, they're going to be listing those assumptions Mm -hmm. that were before subconscious and you're making them conscious. And then you do that exercise that I just did said, what if we can make that not be true? That's how you break them. And then you come up with the more disruptive ideas. That's cool. And I guess with salad, you're like, hey, salad is typically blank or salad is always blank or when I order a salad, I expect it to be blank. And it's sort of like at least the things. Exactly. Exactly. And that stick that really does kind of bend my brain, the stick. I'm thinking about what's a sponsor, Athletic Greens. It's a delicious green fruit, vegetable powder supplement. You typically drink with water, you blend it in. But I'm thinking about like, what's the the lickum dipum sticks with the sugar? And like, if, if you could have a dressing for that salad <laughs> that complements the flavors of the green powder, which is kind of wild. Exactly. Or you just sprinkle it on the lettuce and it's active. the flavor is activated by the moisture of the lettuce. You sure? Yeah. Activated flavor. Well, yeah. well, let's talk about that fear point. So you shared, hey, if you're facilitating the meeting, here's the easiest thing you could do to bust fear. If you're not facilitating the meeting and you feel some internal fear, how do you recommend we just kind of push past that psychological resistance so that we are bold and proclaim what we have to say? Well, I think it's less about an individual pushing past it and it's more about creating the climate. So it is about the group. It's very difficult for an an individual to push past it, particularly if the rest of the group has a tendency to do that quick convergent thinking that shows up as yes, but. Yes, but it won't work. Yes, but we don't have time. Yes, but it costs too much. If that's the environment, it's very difficult for any individual to step out of that. It almost requires too much. So it is about the group. So if you're in a group, even if you're not leading the meeting, theoretically, and you see this phenomenon happening, the yes, butting happening, what you can do is very gently suggest, hey, how about if we just try throwing out a bunch of ideas without responding to any of them. And then when we have a bunch, then when we can respond. So what you're doing is encouraging them to diverge, get a bunch of ideas before they converge, because that converging is almost always negative when it happens in the moment. And there's, if you want the neuroscience behind why that is, we can go there. But it is really more about a group than an individual just I mean, you can, as an individual, say, I'm just going to ignore what everybody else thinks and ignore what everyone else is saying and ignore when I get yes-butted, but it's hard to persevere Mm -hmm. in a yes-butt environment on your own. Okay. Well, tell me, Sue, is there anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? 
I do want to mention the reason why that initial reaction to most ideas is negative. All right. Yeah. Because it's it's really, it's also a foundational principle in creative thinking, and it's important to understand. So I mentioned earlier a little bit about neuroscience, like we have two systems in our brain, system one and system two, and and our brain tries to stay in system one to conserve energy. And one of the challenges that arises from that is a set of things called cognitive biases. And you already mentioned the curse of knowledge, which is one cognitive bias. But another cognitive bias that really gets in our way is called the negativity bias. And the negativity bias is the phenomenon that negative experiences have a more powerful impact on our thoughts feelings, and behaviors than positive experiences do. And as a result, we are highly motivated to avoid negative. We're much more motivated to avoid negative than we are motivated to seek out positive. And that's the reason why the gut instinct response to any new idea is yes, but, and here's the problem, because we are trying to avoid the negative. And we're more motivated by that than we are motivated by looking for the positive. So one of the things that you can do to set a climate that helps get past this negativity bias is teach everyone that GPS method that I already talked about. And the way we used it was as a specific tool to evaluate an idea. But it is also, and probably more importantly, simply a mindset to adopt when you're generating ideas. So if you can teach people that GPS thinking as a mindset and as a climate that you're going to adopt when you're generating ideas, you will automatically reduce the fear because Mm -hmm. people are going to see when I throw out a crazy idea, everybody is going to respond to it in this more positive way by saying what's potentially good about it. And then they're going to help me solve for the problems in it instead of just saying yes, but. Because when you say an idea and somebody else says yes, but, it makes you feel like you were stupid for saying the idea. Mm-hmm. But when you say an idea and other people say, here's what's good about it, here's what we might need to solve for, then you feel like we're collaborating now instead of they just judged me and found me stupid. <laughs> yeah, well, totally. And then the momentum is just flowing in that place. Yeah. All right. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? I can't control everything that happens in life, but I can control how I respond to it. All right. And a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? There was some research that they did with kids. They gave a bunch of kids some tests of creative thinking. And 95% of the kindergartners scored in what would be termed highly creative. And then they gave the same kids in fifth grade the same test and the results had nearly reversed. Now only about 5% of the kids scored in what was highly creative. So the moral of the story is we unlearn our creativity, but the good news is we can relearn it and regain it and leverage it to our benefit. Okay. And how about a favorite book? Actually, instead of a book, can I give you a TED talk? Oh, sure. I love Sir Ken Robinson's TED talk on do schools kill creativity. It's an Excellent, excellent talk. He makes amazing points and it is a powerful learning. And a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job. I use a website called Storms. That's S-T-O-R-M-Z, Storms. And it is designed specifically 
four brainstorming and creative thinking sessions, and it, it makes it so easy. And it's enabled for all online, so you can have a, a remote brainstorming session, everybody working remotely, but they put their all, all their ideas in one place. It's a brilliant tool. Okay. And a favorite habit? Yeah. You're probably familiar with the idea that some people are people-oriented and some people are task-oriented. And I mm-hmm. find that I'm very task-oriented, in particular when I am writing or responding to emails. So my habit has become, when I write an email or respond to an email, I type whatever it is I think I need to say, and then I pause before I hit send, and I read it again, and I make sure to change it to say something like, how are you doing? How's your son? Did he pass that test you were talking about? (laughs) Because otherwise, my emails are very, they sound very cold because they're so task-oriented, and I warm them up with some people orientation as as an afterthought. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate and folks quote back to you frequently? Let some crazy in the room. All right. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch with you, where would you point them to? My website, susanrobertson.co. Okay. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Start keeping track of how many times you say or hear yes, but in a day. And it will motivate you to stop doing it and start responding more creatively to ideas. All right, Susan, this has been a treat and and I wish you lots of luck in your creative endeavors. Thank you. I really love Susan's perspective about having the most senior person suggest a super wacky idea first up front. I think that makes a world of difference. And I might even suggest that you be bold and be that person who offers the crazy idea, even if you're not the most senior. And just observe how it goes and try to steer things in in a positive way. And if you let some crazy and fun into the room, so many good things can happen. But I tell you what, I've been thinking about salad dressing (laughs) ever since the conversation with Susan. And while that might seem a little nuts, it really can open up new doors and opportunities you'd never considered before. So big thanks to Susan. And again, those show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP639. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.